Blog Talk Radio. There's some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird pick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. Shane Corson. Shane, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing well, Gunner. Doing well, thank you. So, I was off the radar um, squatch-wise this weekend, but I understand that you went out a little bit and and went out with uh, our good friend Larry to to, uh, our research area. How was that trip? It was good. It was beautiful weather. Uh, You know, we've been fortunate to have really nice weather right now, and um, yeah, it was great. It was really quiet out there. Uh, you know, we were commenting, you know, the whole night just how quiet it was. Just not many animals around. Uh, it's just one of those quiet, quiet evenings out. And uh, you know, we we did our audio thing and did some hiking and stuff and uh, checked out a few new camping locations that uh, uh, we found very interesting and good spots to probably uh, spend some time in. And so that was good. Uh, you know, I, I took um, my wife and my little girl with us this time around, uh, and then all they just hung around camp basically. But uh, on our way, on our way, we were leaving. I wanted to pick up uh, an SD card out of one of my game cameras out there, and and uh, we we hiked out, and I carried my my three year old pretty much the whole way, and it's a little bit treacherous, and my arms got pretty tired, and we made it down to this area, and it, it borders a creek, and I was probably about 10 feet away when I started hearing this buzzing noise. And uh, I look over, and I, I see a few wasps, and I had realized that my wife had stepped on a wasp nest, and they weren't aware of it yet. I booked it over there. I said, give me Nevaeh. I grabbed Nevaeh. I said, you guys stepped on a wasp nest, and they started buzzing like crazy now, and they finally figured it out. 
we started running, <laughs> and as I'm carrying my daughter up this hill on my arm, and it's there's branches and sticks, and it's it's a mess. I back up, and we're booking it. <laughs> and uh, safe to say, uh, a few a few stings later, everybody was okay. We made it out of there, but uh, uh, it's that time of year, and you know, wasps love to camp next to uh, you know creeks and stuff and build their little nest. And uh, I'm very familiar with stepping on them, so I once I heard that little bit of buzzing noise, I um, snapped into get the heck out of here and. Yeah, it was. Uh, my adrenaline was pumping. I made it up the hill, and I was just gassed because, <laughs> and my wife was gassed too. <laughs> it was uh, not a fun experience, but uh, you know, one of the things you just got to be aware of when you're out there, uh, all the little hidden dangers. <laughs> yeah, I was out with on um, a BFRO expedition one time, and a guy stepped on a hornet's nest and got stung up pretty bad. So yeah, that's that's. Uh, serious business so i'm glad nobody got more seriously hurt did nah, you hear no. anything out out there this weekend you know like i said it was it was fairly quiet uh but while gunner or uh sorry larry and i were setting up some audio we got a loud uh loud popping noise uh, uh kind of we we have similar recordings and we call them like a mouth pop and not that it's necessarily a mouth pop but that's the kind of noise it it, it i can correlate it to and it was very interesting because shortly after that we got a couple of knocks um, in the same vicinity, uh, and I believe we got it all on recorder. We're going to, you know, analyze that and stuff. But uh, you know, really overall, it was it was really quiet. It was just oddly quiet out there. Um, you know, we did see some deer and stuff like that, but overall it was just a really quiet evening. But the uh, the mouth pop thing or that that popping noise was pretty interesting. I don't know what it could have been. But it's been heard, yeah, that's one of the things that we've had um, on several occasions that have shown up on the the recorders, so it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pretty interesting. So, uh, you know, it was a great trip overall, so uh, we'll do it again here shortly. Well, we have a, a longtime Bigfoot researcher, um, the head of the Kentucky Bigfoot Research Organization, Charlie Raymond, is with us today. So I'm ready to to uh, dive in and, and talk to Charlie. You ready, Shane? Oh, absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right. Good Sunday, Charlie. How you doing, buddy? Great, man. How are you guys? I'm real good. How are, Shane's just uh, getting back from a little outing himself. So yeah, doing well. Glad to have you on the show, Charlie. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Charlie, give us a little bit of background. How did you get into You've been doing this for a while now. You get, had the, have had the Kentucky organization going for, what, since 97? Yeah, I started it in 1997, officially started it. I've been doing it years prior for many, many years. Um, but then I thought, well, I need to document all the encounters here in Kentucky. So then I started my database and started following up on reports and trying to document everything. And one of the goals I had, it was twofold. One, I had my personal goal where I wanted to see one. So, you know, I was a little selfish and I wanted to find out where they were. And then my second goal being an animal lover, tree hugger, I want to protect them. So I figured if I could 
find out where they were, get enough testimony, uh, video, hair, DNA, et cetera, and then go to my state legislators, I would be able to establish laws to protect them. So what originally got your... your uh... Oh, I think it's um, just a, a romantic notion to think that this creature, this this boogeyman could be hiding in the woods, you know, uh, as you're hiking late at night and watching you as you take out your garbage. And um, so that part of it's really cool to think about, you know, kind of creepy and scary. I love that part of it. Um, the other part is, to me, it's amazing that this yet to be classified hominid has evolved and, and, and thrived for so many years without us, you know, ca- capturing one. Mm-hmm. When that's so, yeah, yeah, that I mean, the mystery part is is what does it for me too. I mean, it's it's crazy that there could be a uh, an animal that large and that closely related to us that that uh, has lived alongside us all this time, and it's a pretty cool mystery. So, what you you uh, got into it, you know, at, when when did you first start? Uh, doing Bigfoot research? Um, I did as a kid, you know, growing up in Florida, down there in the swamps, you know, tracking the skunk skunk ape and so forth, um, following the newspaper clippings and so forth. And then, geez, almost 25 years ago, I moved to Kentucky, and I started researching all the reports and um Back then, there really wasn't the BFRO site. There were some local, couple local blogs, and uh, one one website in particular I can't remember the name of it. He had some great reports on there, um, but it really wasn't um, to me an, enough to really get serious about it until um, you know I decided to do my own database and track them all and. Um, and right now, as you know, with Facebook, it's exploded with Facebook. Everybody has got their own little groups and so forth. And it's easy now to make a website or a blog where back then, you know, you, you had to know HTML and stuff to make a website, and, which is how I started out. But um, one thing that I also started was the Bluegrass Bigfoot Coalition. And my hope is to have all the researchers join forces in Kentucky I'm focusing mostly on Kentucky, but for all of us to join forces and share information, um, you know. Well, that's right. That's right up my alley because I'm totally, um, you know, there's been, I think we'd be so much further along if if, uh, we were working together, collaboration versus competition, everybody hoarding their, you know. And and it's funny because our group, the Tillamook Boys Research Group, has gone as, connected with like the Olympic project and and Sarah and John Brown and Bigfootology and um, Bigfoot Ops, several other groups and it really has helped us move, you know, our our research along because sharing notes and, and we have found uh similar activity in in uh every area that of the group other groups that we uh, share information with. So yeah, that's um hugely uh a huge positive um so what are some of the other groups you've got, you you have a 
so is that like a sister group of the Kentucky Bigfoot Research Organization? Well, I've got some affiliations with other researchers in Kentucky. Um, for example, um, we just brought on the Carter County Bigfoot Research Group there in the, um, the east, eastern half of Kentucky. Um, I share information with the uh, the northern uh, Bigfoot group with uh, Tom Shea and Rodney. Uh, they do some great research up there. Um, Chris Page down there and the, the southern southern Bigfooters, or oh, I can't think of the exact name of it, but it's a he's got a um, Facebook group that you know he's got some great research going on down there. So I and there's a lot of independent independent researchers too in Kentucky. So I I just formed a you know a Facebook group and I invited everybody to be part of that group, to plan expeditions, to share information. Because what happens is, you know, you see this on all these group pages on Facebook. Um, unfortunately, there are a lot of people on there that are really critical, judgmental, um, you know, naive, and et cetera. And, and I'll be the first to admit this. Um, I've been doing it a long time. I don't know everything. I'm always learning. I've been on countless BFRO expeditions. I've been on countless, you know, private expeditions. Um, I go I go researching every weekend with, with different groups and different individuals. So I've got a lot of knowledge, but I don't know it all, and I don't think anybody knows it all. Otherwise, we would already have a creature um, classified, you know, named. Um, so. That's yeah. I I, I call that the. My big footing is better than your big footing. The people that are out there that like, you know, uh, I believe believe my evidence because I say it is, and and they've never, you know, it's not been really processed, and and uh, they they think that that they've got the, they've got the answers over everybody else, and and I'm like, well, that if that was true, we would we wouldn't still be talking about if they were if they exist. So, I mean, it's, everybody brings value to, to, uh, the research and, and, uh, it sounds like you guys can, nobody knows everything. Definitely. Nobody knows everything. There are those though that I believe have a lot of experience in the field and, um, with taking reports and, and do their due diligence and, uh, you know, going about things the right way. And, and, and I believe Charlie and the Kentucky group, you know, they're doing just that. And it's fantastic to to uh, to to look at you know his you know Charlie your website is, you know I really enjoy looking at it and uh, the documentation going on there and the reports shared. So what what kind of what kind of goes into some of your documentation, Charlie, when you're out in the field? What kind of do you have your own methods or uh, any sort of protocol that you uh, do when out in the field? Yes, uh, I got a degree in psychology and. Um, one of the things I've learned over time is you can you can actually lead a witness, and I do not want to do that. When I go out there, I ask open-ended questions. You know, what did you see? And let them fill in the details. I don't go out there and say, um, "What is this? What did this teeth look like? Or, or what do the ears look like? Or you know?" It, and that's one thing you want to. I try to do is try to ask open-ended questions. Um, I'll document everything usually with video or audio. Um, I'll take notes. 
Um, and it's so time-consuming, as you guys know. I mean, people don't realize. You know, you, you talk to a witness over the phone, and they're so excited. You, you can spend hours on the phone, and then then you're going to make, make an arrangement on a Saturday or something to drive out there. It could be hours, you know, to get there. Then you're there half a day looking for evidence and talking to them again. Then you come home and you compile everything into a report. You've got to type it, make it sound uh, sensible and not a one-on sentence. <laughs> Every sentence is just one paragraph and it's one sentence, you know. You've got to kind of make it sound right and decent. And, and then you've got to um, look at it and say, well, person telling the truth or was it mis- misidentification? Um, did they um, embellish the story? I wanted to add something about the embellishment part. I've, I've realized this over the years. Most people tell a story to an audience. An audience isn't just somebody on the Internet. It could be just your friend. It could be your, your mother. It could be a coworker. Anybody you talk to is your audience. So what do you do? You try to sell your story. So it's natural for people to embellish. But we as researchers need to do is look at that and say, well, what's facts from fiction? What did they really see? What did they did not see? Did they just add a little bit extra there? And I will tell the witness that. I said, don't, whatever you do, don't embellish it. If there's a part of it that you did not see or did not hear, tell me that. I'd rather you be totally honest than to add, you know, extra um, embellishments to the story. So, um, it it just takes experience doing it, and as you guys know. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you know, when approaching, you know, witnesses, you know, it's uh, it. I fully believe it takes a lot of experience to really get to know people uh, by doing countless amounts of interviews and going to these areas and uh, you know, doing your research on the area before and afterhand. And, and then, you know, you said, you know, again, know people and, and know that there is that sort of embellishment there. And especially when they're, they're uh, you know, trying to, you know, a lot of times they kind of, they know what they saw and whatnot, but they want you to absolutely believe them. And But, you know, we don't need that extra, just give it to us straight and uh, lay out the facts and uh, it'll it'll get you a lot further along than adding in um, stuff that's going to confuse everybody. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. And I'll tell you one um, uh, thing that I've learned. Just I just had two recent sightings by um, children. Uh, one was actually an early teen. The other one was a little girl. They both had two Bigfoot sightings. And with kids, it's a little tricky because kids do like to embellish. And, and I've, I've also worked with kids who watch all the Bigfoot shows you know, they have the Bigfoot hat and the Bigfoot shirt, and they've got, I like to say, Bigfoot on the brain. And um, <laughs> some of those stories you can kind of tell right away when, when a kid is making something up. But the last two uh, reports I've taken, the one girl was with her father. It was in Anderson County. It was this past winter. It was during the daytime, right, right after a big snow had come in. The roads were covered. So the father was driving very carefully down this road, taking the little girl to her um, a friend's birthday party or a play date or something like that. And so he was only doing maybe 10, 15 miles an hour on this little dirt road. And she looks over 
and looks into the woods next to the creek and sees the back of this big hairy creature. And she's, as they go by, she goes, Daddy, I just saw a gorilla. Um, and the dad's like, like what? And he didn't even think anything of it. He brings the girl to her play date, drops her off. After the play date, uh, later that evening, she tells the mother about the story. And here's what was really neat about the story is she tells the mom she saw this gorilla. And in the process, she said, yeah, I saw the lines, the lines in its feet. And the mom's like, what do you mean lines in its feet? She couldn't figure it out. Um, after further investigation and, and speaking to the witness, the, the creature was only 30 yards from the road. The creek was right down there. It was standing, facing away from the vehicle. And when I asked her, you know, did you see its face? No. She said, no. It was, I just saw its back, which I love because the kids, if they're making it up, they would say, oh, yeah, I saw its face and it had, had big eyes and big teeth. You know, they, she was real um, soft-spoken, real timid. And she said, no, uh, just just its back. I said, well, what do you mean you saw its lines and its feet? She goes, well, it was kind of walking away, and when it picked up its foot, I could see the lines in the bottom of its foot. And then, I, then it dawned on me, oh, she's seeing, you know, the creases in the skin. That's how big, you know, these things are, you know, and to be that close for the yards because we measured it. Um, you know, it, it, it added up more. Like, how would she make some of that stuff up to lines in its feet? And, and then she never embellished it when I asked her about the face. It was gray. It was at least 8 to 10 foot tall by the measurements. It was down in the embankment, so it's kind of get the, hard to get the exact measurement of it. And every other question I asked her about the back, the shoulders, the arm legs, everything I asked her, um, her, her standard comeback was to me, it looked like a gorilla. Like, how, what, was the, what did the back look like? Uh, like a gorilla. You know, I love that. Yeah. Is that sort of report uh, pretty common out there? I mean, especially the description, or do you get a varied, uh, you know, amount of descriptions of of what you know people are seeing? Yeah, and that's why, you know, you get reports and people call you, and they'll say, "I saw two men in gorilla suits run across the road." Like I had the sheriff. I'm friends with the sheriff out in Bullitt County. And when I first talked to, him, talked to him about Bigfoot Research, he would call me and tell me, dispatch, just got a call about a lady driving down Cedar Grove Road at you know, midnight, and she said two men in gorilla suits ran in front of her car. <laughs> what I love about that was it wasn't Halloween. You know, it was middle of summer. It wasn't Halloween or April Fool's. And most people are going to call dispatch for the pranks, you know. I don't know if that's a felony or misdemeanor, but... Most people won't do that. And most people don't believe in Bigfoot, and they don't believe in Bigfoot's in Kentucky. So these 911 calls, which I have a list of them, by the way, which I had them on my web- website at once, and he asked me, can you take them off your website because we're getting a lot of concerned citizens about these calls. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but when I get the report like that, I know that's a hot area based on all my other reports and my private, you know, my Google maps where I got them all mapped out privately, I know that's a hot area. So I get real excited about um, those reports. You know, what so if, the, what's somebody in our... Oh, go ahead, Gunner. No, I, 
so how many reports would you say that you've you've personally investigated, you know, in the last almost 20 years even that you've had your uh, Kentucky Bigfoot Research Organization has been in existence? Um, I've, I've never broken it down to what which ones I've done personally. I've got a group of investigators on my team, so um, a lot of them take reports as well. I I would I would say though I I do ninety percent or more of the reports myself. Um, I don't probably because you know they have lives, they have families, they can't always get to the spot. They um, in the last five years I've added some new people to my group who are a little bit more enthusiastic um, about doing the research. Like Don Neal, uh, he's a minister in um, Owensboro, Kentucky, and he loves doing follow-up reports. I think what happens is <laughs> researchers, they get excited, like, oh, yeah, man, I want to be a researcher on your team. I want to go out and do reports. Well, once they find out how many hours it takes to do all this, and then when you come back and type it up in a report and then send it to me, then i got to put it on the website, and i got to put it on the Facebook page, and, and they they kind of lose a little bit of the interest in the follow-ups. So <laughs> I tend to do, I would say, 90% of the follow-ups. Wow. Oh. Yeah, what a difficult job. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun though. I mean, and here's the thing: people ask me ask me this all the time. Well, Charlie, did you have a sighting? <laughs> like, that's the gold standard by you know being a credible researcher. I said, no, honestly, I have not had a day daylight sighting. Now I've been many many times close to them. I mean, within forty yards or less. Uh, tree knocks and vocals and whistles and rock throws and bluff charges and you name it. I mean, I, I mean, I've been close to them tons of times, but never had that, you know, that million dollar chance encounter where, where one comes right across, running across the road in front of you or uh, steps out and you just happen to see him step out. Um, you know, they typically don't want to search show themselves. So, um, well, that's yeah. I, I'm still in in the I haven't had the the class A uh sighting but I'm pretty sure that that I've been around them too with all the the uh in our research area with all the amount of vocalization and stuff that we've had happen. I know that Mr. Shane has had the the uh privilege of of having a sighting so um, I'm hoping to move uh, I actually I think in some ways it adds more some some credibility to someone who who is researching the topic and not um, you know hasn't had twenty sightings or um, you know and and uh, just just because I think that there is a lot of of that too or not not that that uh, everybody who's had multiple sightings is is dishonest I'm just it, it's when somebody hasn't had one and is out looking as often as you are, I mean, it'd be easy for someone to say, yeah, you know, I've had, I've, I've seen them umpteen times or, and, and I'm sure, you know, we all know people that, that that's the case where every time they're out, they've seen one. So I just think yeah. it's such a needle in the haystack kind of, uh, experience that, that, uh, um, that, now, that, that is unlikely. Who was it? Was it Craig from um, Cryptomundo? 
you said it's a, a moving needle in a haystack. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And the, and the haystack moves, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's highly intelligent, too. It's not just a... Yeah. But yeah, I, I was going to tell you, um, I can tell you, you asked me about the number of sightings in Kentucky and stuff. I can tell you a little bit of information that I've, I pulled together. Uh, we have over 334-plus sightings in Kentucky, documented sightings, and that data comes from the 98 reports that BFRO has. And I have a, a lot of friends that are BFRO researchers, and they told me that 98 is not even close to the number that they have uh, in their database that they just haven't got to all the reports yet. But the 98 are the published reports on their website. And then we have on our Kentucky Bigfoot site, we have 236 reports, and those are the reports that are um, not confidential. Like I've got a lot of reports that people do not want me to post them for whatever reason, for privacy or whatnot. So um, anyway, um, that's the number of reports here. And someone just asked in the blog about the Spotsville monster. I'll tell you this. This is what's really neat. Almost every county in Kentucky has had some type of Bigfoot report. There's so many reports that in different regions of Kentucky, the locals have named them. And I have a list of names here. I'm going to go through them real quick. Uh, the Spotsville Monster is one of them. Uh, he was in Henderson County. There's Big Mo in Edmondson County. The Varmint, the Beast of LBL, Hebersville Hillbilly, the Backyard Bandit, or Barilla, <laughs> um, Matilda, that's the young juvenile in Grant County. Um, there's the Wild Man of Abbott Mountain. The Trimble County Beast, Booger Bears, Big D, the Popelick Monster, the Wadi Werewolf, Red Eye, Mr. Howdy, and Yahoo. And um, the Yahoos, everybody knows, Daniel Boone supposedly killed a 10 foot tall hairy man in Kentucky. I got a really cool report on that. I met the Turtle Man um, in person at his home uh, regarding a, a Bigfoot sighting he had as a kid. And long story short, he has a friend in Washington County that had this cave with this giant human-like skeleton inside the cave. And anybody that was fortunate to go inside to see the skeleton would run out in fear after seeing the skeleton. Outside of the cave was inscribed DB, the date, and it's here. And the only thing that he could think of is the DB was for Daniel Boone, um, and everybody, everybody's going to ask, well, well, how come, where did the skeleton go? And how can we want, the guy is like a hermit, and he does not want the, the media. He does not want researchers on his property. Um, so he won't let people <laughs> on his land to, you know, ex, you know, examine the skeleton. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you another cool story. Um, in Anderson County, we have a, a Bigfoot called Mr. Howdy, and, and this is kind of kind of fun. Mr. Howdy um, was first observed in the 1960s in Anderson County, and what it was, Mr. Tyndall, the landowner, he saw it one day, and it walked out to the tree line. It stuck his hand up in the air and then turned and walked back in the tree line, okay, <laughs> like almost <laughs> like it's – 
like it's waving. And there were some other reports in the 60s, but they nicknamed it the Cedar Brook County. Philip Spencer, a long-time, um, long-time researcher, he's since passed away. He did a lot of research in Anderson County on Mr. Howdy. But here's the, the neatest part of the story. In 2011, Jack Smarr with the BFRO, he's a good friend of mine, he took a report. Two teenagers had just moved here from Florida, okay? And they called the BFRO with a report. They said this hairy creature-like thing come walking out, stuck his hand in the air, turned and walked away. <laughs> you know, <laughs> these girls, these girls had, they knew no, no prior knowledge of the 1960s of the Cedarbrook Howdy. They just moved here from Florida. They told Jack this story, and he goes, oh, my gosh, that sounds like Mr. Howdy. <laughs> Maybe maybe uh, maybe the Sasquatch is doing its rounds. That uh, maybe going to run for president soon and just doing its rounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the other my theory is it's right near the um, is it the uh, the distillery that is it's either Buffalo Trace or it's um, Turkey. I'm trying to think of the name of it. Wild Turkey Distillery. The Wild Turkey Distillery is right around the corner, and this and some of the descriptions said it had a, a pot belly. <laughs> it was just like a good old Bigfoot, you know, um, hanging around the distilleries. <laughs> yeah, yeah moonshining. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, That's fantastic. Charlie, are you familiar with the the Erickson Project then? I mean, have you been to that site? And Yes. I've been there, and I haven't been – invited there, so to speak, to look at the evidence and so forth. I've, I've been there as a curious researcher, so I've been around the area. Um, and I know there's a lot of controversy on it, but what the insider information I've heard, you know, they were there five, six years, they got a lot of DNA. Uh, one way to get the DNA, supposedly they had a, a plate and they crushed up some broken glass and glued it to the plate. And they put apple wedges in the plate, and that's how they got the blood samples. Um, you know, they sent it to Ketchum, and we all know the story with the DNA in Ketchum. Unfortunately, it kind of fell through. But the people that came in, Erickson, well, Erickson bought, the, bought the farm, so to speak, moved the old couple out, and they went down the street. Well, then they, had, right. they lost the activity. Well, supposedly the old lady was still feeding it <laughs> when she went down the street. And the Bigfoots went down there, and they're like, "No, no, no, stop feeding them!" We, you know, um, it, it, it sounds like they failed to sign a, a non-compete. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. They should have had them sign a non-compete clause so that they w- didn't move the Bigfoot away with them. So I remember hearing that story too. I, I mean, the the initial you know video that that came out of there was the night vision one of of like a like a little one coming up and eating pancakes. And that one at the time was pretty compelling. I mean, it was pretty interesting looking. I couldn't imagine yeah, them ha- actually having a kid put on a, you know, on a little monkey suit and go and sit and eat pancakes in the dark. But <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. You know, it, initially I think um, Matt Moneymaker bought it, bought that, the rights to that video, the Pumpkinhead video or the the Kentucky footage or whatever you want to call it, um, mm-hmm. the Kentucky Project. Like it. He had bought it for like, 
$25,000 or something. Then it disappeared off the Internet. And then Erickson came in, bought the farm, did the research. Um, and then, you know, all the videos and pitch stills have come out. But just so you know, I had heard about the Sleeping Matilda years and years before it was released, um, you know. And, and it's – nobody really knows. I just – I wish um, some of that research would yield more um, – definitive answers than what what had happened. But it seems like every time we, we get close to getting one, not getting one, but obtaining some great evidence, every time we get close, something mysteriously happens. <laughs> like the DNA gets corrupt or the, the video gets ripped apart or I'm like, oh. Yeah, that was... Yeah. Uh, in fact, the, that... Uh, that the Erickson project was like that carrot that kept being dangled out there for you know a number of years, and finally after a while, I think people just got frustrated with. And in fact, it was probably three years ago that they did promo videos, you know, that it would here we're going to release it and it's coming out on DVD and and uh, then then again nothing happened with it. So, but I yeah. I was hoping that there was more to it than the. The you know the sleeping Matilda video and a couple of, you know I, I would have thought over the time frame they would have had quite a bit. It sounded like they had a lot more evidence than what we've seen so far. But well, I, we have not seen it. I I've heard too that there's still research going on there. Um, I don't know if they've obtained anything yet, but um, I heard there's. I will tell you this: Grant County. Grand County's next to Carroll County and Triple County and Henry County. I've got dozens of reports from eyewitnesses all around that area. Uh, Thomas Shea and Rodney with the, the Northern Kentucky Group, they do research up there, and they've got dozens of reports all around that area as well. So it is a hot area. Um, I took a report there, let me see, um, which was in um, Trimble County. It was a, a bread truck driver, and he was making his rounds about 3 a.m., going around a dirt, um, not dirt road, a little country road and coming around a corner, which about a dime for every driver who's seen one at 3 a.m. coming around the corner. <laughs> he, uh, he's coming around the corner at kind of high speed, and he looks over to the right, and he sees this tall, hairy creature. So he slows down, and he thinks, he goes, I thought it was some kind of biker dude because you could see the muscles through its hair, its abdomen, its pecs. And I slow down, and even almost I just hear kind of long hair in its chin, you know. But then as I get, I got a better look at it, I could tell it was not human. It was massive. And it, it immediately my heart started to race, he said. And I hit the gas and sped off. And, and the remainder of the way of his route, he's like, he's thinking to himself, what the hell was that? He goes, oh my God! He he thought, what if that thing jumped on my back of my truck? I mean, this thing was this thing was massive. And he filed a report with us. He told us the exact location, but was really neat. It was standing by a school bus sign. <laughs> I don't think it was waiting for the school bus, but uh, where the school <laughs> bus sign is a it's a country. You know, it's a, we're talking a little country town. It's all wooded and so forth. But the school bus signs right there around the corner. And he said it was half a head taller than the school bus sign. Great. I'm thinking, that's a reference point. 
we can get an exact measurement on this thing. So my wife and I go out there and we measured the top top of the sign. It was exactly eight foot. Thing was eight foot, <laughs> and like eight and a half to nine foot tall. Not a biker dude. Listen, it's a really no. tall biker dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, who's gonna play a prank like that? Never come forward. Never ever come forward. To, oh, yeah, I got you. I was in a monkey suit standing there waiting for this motorist to come by. You know, nobody ever came forward and said, you know, claim that. So. Well, you don't oh, just get reports from from Kentucky. You you had messaged me earlier this weekend and said you had got a really compelling, interesting report from Oregon, actually. So, and of course, I, I immediately went in and I since read it. But yeah, that you get you get uh, reports from other parts of the country as well. Yeah, um, the Oregon report uh, was interesting because he had sent me a text message first about it. I said, well, can you do me a favor? Can you, can, I said, first of all, did you report it to anybody else? He said, yes, the BFRO a week ago, but I have not heard back from them. And, you know, they're, they're busy. They got, they got a lot of activity. Um, so and it takes time to get back to people. I just got lucky because I, I saw my text message and I said, well, do me a favor. Type up your report and email it to me. So he typed up that report you saw there, and I will tell you this, the only thing I did, I I edited the grammar or punctuation in it because he had lots of commas, which everything was like a run-on sentence. Um, (laughs) And he tells you, if you ever type a report, you get excited and you just keep going, rambling, rambling, rambling. So I said, can I do do a favor? favor? Can I just end your commas there with periods and start a new sentence? (laughs) He goes, oh, yeah, sure. I I was in a rush to type that. If you look at that report, he almost wrote a book, okay? And right. Some people, I got a little bit of criticism. Some people are like, oh, that's bogus. He's just doing that for attention. I said, BS, to me, number one, he didn't want his last name posted. He said, no, I, want, you know, I don't want my last name on there because I, I live in that area still. I, do, I hunt in that area. People think I'm crazy. Um, I don't want my last name posted. And why would you type such an elaborate report? And the main the main emphasis of the report was the rock throwing all night long. And for mm-hmm. those people who don't know the story, these hunters were hunting deer in the uh, whatever forest that was in Oregon. I mean, it's deep in the mountains of Oregon, and they're way back in these logging roads. Back in there's this deer camp they go hunting at. And they killed a deer that had run in front of their vehicle. And he said it was odd because when they hit the brakes and the deer ran, the deer wasn't looking at them. It was looking behind it. He goes, that's kind of strange. And, but that deer booked it up the side of this, this hill. So his buddy got out with a gun and shot it. And then he went up there to get it. And long story short, got the deer, brought it back to deer camp. They cleaned it that night. And after they went to sleep in the vehicle, and they're both in their captain's chairs, laid back in the vehicle, something started throwing handfuls of pebbles at his truck. I mean, it would, he would said it would do it every 15 to 30 minutes. He was getting pissed off. He was jumping out of his truck with his flashlight and his gun. A couple times he shot, you know, yelling at who was doing that to stop. It never stopped. A few times the pebbles would come simultaneously from both sides of the truck 
and hit both sides of the truck. Um, one time when he did jump out with his tactical flashlight, he caught a glimpse of something running down towards the creek. It had like orangish, like reddish orange hair, um, but I only saw the back of it for a brief, brief, you know, couple minutes. And after all this had happened, um, when he got home, it wasn't until weeks, a weeks later that he goes, you know, what, what other animal can throw rocks, you know, at a vehicle like that? None. And what person would be out there? He goes, there's no way people would be out there. We're two hunters, heavily armed. I mean, he said, we're, we, had every, you know, we had two or three guns on us at all times. Who would mess with us like that in the dark, without a flashlight, in the middle of nowhere, and, you know, as you read the report, there's this huge storm that had happened. So when they went to leave, all the ro- uh, logging roads were blocked with huge timber. And he had to get his chainsaw, cut the, these large trees, drag them out of, his way, out of the way with his uh, suburban just to get out of there. So there's, he's saying there's no way that could have been a person. You know, so I, I really found that uh, report to be fascinating. Yeah, mo- yeah well, most people want to like that too. Mo- most people, when they do a report, it's not near as detailed or as long as that particular report. Uh, the guy did, you know, I mean, from what I read, <laughs> I'm pretty excited about it and whatnot. And, uh, but, I mean, that, that particular report mimics and echoes a lot of reports with hunters where you get a deer that runs out in front of you that doesn't, it's not paying attention to you, it's paying attention to something else. And um, they subsequently have some sort of encounter or sighting. Uh, I know I've taken in and read a ton of reports similar to this one, and um, I'm sure you have as well, Charlie. Uh, I mean, have you gotten other reports similar to that in Kentucky, and and uh, have you gotten many yeah. reports from hunters? Oh, yeah, a lot of reports from hunters. Um, someone on the – I was reading the blog, put on their tactical flashlight, and he said, like, he's questioning that. Um, the guy wasn't mm-hmm. law enforcement, so um, – I don't know. He was ex-law enforcement, so I don't know why he would not have a tactical flashlight. Uh, Almost like he's questioning that. But anyway, yeah, hunters, a lot of hunters. Um, Here's one. Um, I got uh, one about a hunter seeing two creatures run only about 30 yards in front of his deer stand. One was eight-foot black. The second one right behind it was more blonde in color, about six-foot. This was in Anderson County. And they crossed a 100-yard field in about 10 seconds. And what I love about it, he said it was strange. They were so fluid and graceful. Their heads never bobbed. Their heads stayed still. But yet they, it was like they were on skates. They just glided across that field. And he goes, another thing that was really strange, they would turn to look behind them. And they would pivot at the waist, you know, reminiscent patty, um, so they wouldn't turn their heads. They would just kind of twist their bodies to look behind them. And they did it three times, like like something was chasing these things, <laughs> these massive mm-hmm. creatures. Um, but that, that was the story of a hunter who saw two of them. What about well, I've heard of other stories. We, we had a story not too long ago in, in our research area where uh, a guy came out, was had drove in and was driving back out in a, in a deer ran across the road in front of him and he looks looks over and says there was a, a Bigfoot standing there looking at him, pissed off because he, you know, interrupted his his meal plan for the the evening. So 
it, it makes sense. That, and we had somebody, uh, a gentleman on the show a couple of weeks ago that was talking about being out hunting with his dad when he was a kid and had a deer run by and not even pay any attention to them. And uh, then uh, a, a Bigfoot ran by chasing the deer. So well, imagine it makes sense that it would happen periodically that that you'd cross paths with a with a Bigfoot out hunting. You know, that I would imagine that the uh they'd spend quite a bit of time, you know, in pursuit of food. So right. that's I like that I like that Oregon report. Um that's and that's interesting because that's uh in the coast range and it's probably it's probably an hour to where from where I am. So I live on the wow. Oregon coast. So um and I've guy, driven through the um, Go ahead. I was going to tell you, this guy is willing to take a researcher out there. You know, to report, and if you're a local researcher in the area, I could contact him, give him your information, because he said him and his buddy have been out there quite a bit, and there's areas in there that you most most hikers would not hike. They're just steep, real steep, treacherous terrain. He said near here, I think in the pictures of the waterfall, huge waterfall. He said it's it's almost impossible to get down to that area where that waterfall was. And that's kind of where that he saw the glimpse of that creature headed towards. He said that would be an ideal spot for Sasquatches to live because most humans cannot get down there. Well, we'll have to talk yeah when we get off air because it's uh, I'm sure uh, I know another Bigfoot researcher that would love to go in that area as well. Isn't that right, Mr. Corson? <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> right up the alley. <laughs> yeah. But uh, kind of referring back to what you were saying earlier, uh, Charlie, you know, uh, there are so many reports on the BFRO, you know, that they get that just don't ever, you know, in order for a, a, a report to make it onto their, their website, it takes, you know, a, a researcher going to the area and, and filing that report. The BFRO and a lot of, a lot of groups get, tons of reports, but um, researchers that get out to these areas, they actually uh, investigate them and then, and then post them subsequently. And uh, it goes to show, though, how many reports, even those that aren't even shared with the BFRO, are out there and um, that are out there either being shared or not shared. I mean, it's pretty pretty amazing that we only get a, a percentage of those reports shared. And the right. BFRO right. has a huge backlog. I mean, always is running right. a huge backlog of yeah. of reports that have not been investigated just because they don't have enough people. Just like you, your experience, Charlie, where, you know, you, you get people that are in the group and you got to hand. It's always that, like, 80-20 rule. 20, 80% of the work is going to be done by 20% of the people that are involved. So right. people join. They don't, you know, they do a couple reports and that's it. I agree. Yeah, there's a there's a lot that goes unpublished. Fact is, the witness in that Oregon report, his good friend, because he did not grow up in Oregon, but his his good friend now did grow up in Oregon. He told him about a story after he after he, um, the witness relayed the story to him. He goes, "You're not going to believe what happened on our hunting trip." And he told him the story, and the guy looked at him like deer in headlights and said. I gotta tell you something. And he's like, "What?" <laughs> he goes, "Let me tell you what happened when I was uh, in high school." 
I took a friend, a girlfriend. We went at went behind um, some high school in Oregon. I, I got it in my notes, but I'm, I'm, let me let me preference this. This is a you know a secondhand report, so it's not directly from the witness. I'm waiting to speak to the witness uh, directly, but anyway, he said, yeah, this this high schooler. He uh, when I was in high school, I took my girlfriend behind this. Um, behind our high school back in there, and there's these old trails, and I uh, had to go use the restroom. So I left her by the car, and I went back over here to this trail, jumped over this uh, blue gate, and called it. And I was peeing, and I'm, as I'm sitting there peeing, I hear this commotion coming up the trail, and it was, I guess it was around dusk, so you can still see, but it's not dark yet. And he's thinking this big elk, you know, is going to come up this trail and, like, just run me over. So... He says, I'm going to, he goes, I just stepped inside the tree line hiding to let this big bull, moose, or elk, whatever you call it, run by. And as he's hiding the tree line, he watches this Sasquatch come out, massive creature. And it comes out and it looks right at him, like right in his direction. <laughs> he's like, thinking, I don't just really know where I'm at. And he's standing there. And, then, and it squats down and it puts both elbows on, on each knee. And he said it was massive. You can see the the biceps and the the muscles through the hair. And um, he said the biceps were like the size of basketballs. It was just enormous, this creature. And it had one of his hands in the dirt and was kind of just rubbing the dirt, just looking right at him, like, the whole time. And the guy was, like, of course, freaking out, looking at this thing. So he started walking backwards through the through the woods, trying to get out, get away from the thing. And as he's walking backwards, the thing stood up, it took one step. He says the stride must have been six foot or so. I mean, it stepped off the trail into the woods and was gone. Yeah, I mean, to have a close-up encounter like that, I'm, I'm dying to talk to the witness to get more details. And that, that was the friend of uh, the witness for this report you just took from Oregon? Yeah, yes, the guy that's from Oregon. The... Um, that's his good buddy now. That they go, They go hunting all the time now, too, but... They were not hunting together on this trip. Pretty pretty interesting, yeah. I mean, it's always interesting to me is how many people, because they know that that um, I research Bigfoot, will share stories with me. And now, and I, I go to a grocery store and I have people come in and we'll talk to, you know, tell uh, people that work there about their Bigfoot stories that, that they've uh you know, yeah, yeah, and they, of course they tell them you should talk to Jenner. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that, it's funny as how much information comes in that way. It's pretty cool. Yeah, but like you said, there's there's a lot of reports that go undocumented because people they're still afraid to be ridiculed. Mm-hmm. Right, and you you had mentioned before. I mean, you have reports that. You probably just have to sit on and maybe file away and in, in add to your uh, your collection as far as evidence, but you can't share because the people, you know, they're just telling you, hey, uh, this is what happened, but I don't want it out there. I don't want my name out there, correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, um, and what I, what I love about people that do come forward in a certain county in Kentucky, um, once I publish their story, other people see it or they get wind of it and then they will contact me and they'll feel comfortable sharing their story. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and like here's, um, 
I made this yeah. up high school. I'll, I'll tell you one report I just took. This was in Boone County, Kentucky. Uh, two high school football players, they had just won the state, state championship, okay? They're all excited. After the big game, they had to drop a teammate, teammate off at his home. So they got in the car, and they drove him down this long country dirt road way back in the sticks, and this teammate lived in his house at the end of the dirt road. So they, they finally got there. They swung in. The, the grass from the house, he basically jumped out of the car and they started back up the road. And as soon as they started back up the road, this massive reddish-brown creature stepped in front of their vehicle. They hit their brakes. They could only see from the shoulders down. They could not see above the shoulders. They both were like in shock. They were speechless. And, and after it crossed the road, and they're like, what the hell was that? And then they they like the whole way home. It ruined, it ruined the state championship. They just won the state championship in football. They said, "Here we were. We were so excited to go home and tell our parents about the game and all this." And we were like speechless. And we got home, and my dad was like, "Son, what about that game?" Yeah. And they just sat down on the couch with their mouths open. <laughs> the dad's like, "What? What's wrong?" And they're like, "You're not gonna believe what just happened to us." <laughs> <laughs> You know, and after all these years, they said they kind of wish it did not happen because it, it ruined it ruined their victory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you just come from doing something pretty amazing, and then you have this encounter that kind of blows your mind and just kills everything. It, that's wow. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, uh, Charlie. Kentucky, can you talk about a little bit of Kentucky, its terrain and stuff, and why why would Sasquatch be in this area? And, and do you believe that they they possibly migrate, or do they they drop from elevation up to elevation, uh, that sort of thing? Um, Kentucky, we really don't have. Um, well, I would say in the western part of Kentucky, we have knobs, so to speak. They're not giant mountains. Over in the um, eastern part, there's some mountains, and it's, it's pretty rugged over there. Um, and Kentucky sits below Ohio, which we all know Ohio is a hotbed for Bigfoot activity. We sit adjacent to Indiana, which has a lot of Bigfoot activity, above Tennessee, which is another hot state. And then to our was it the east, eastern side, we've got uh, West Virginia, so that's another hot area. Kentucky is made up mostly of huge uh, knobs and, and hollows and creeks and if you turn off any road in Kentucky, I kid you not, you'll be in the middle of nowhere in remote wilderness. People don't understand the pockets we have here. There's some areas that, I kid, I, mean, I kid you not, man has not <laughs> ventured to go. I've, I've been there, and, and yeah. I'm like, there's no way people can hike down these um, cliffs and the end of these hollows and so forth. But that's kind of how Kentucky's made up. Kentucky has mammoth, the Mammoth Cave system. It's the longest cave system in the world some of these caves will will dive down and won't emerge and you know until two or three counties over and that cave will come up miles and miles of cave systems so that's beneficial for sasquatch we have a huge deer population turkey population if you go over to the eastern side of kentucky we've got thousands of elk so kentucky's got everything a, a sasquatch would need to your question whether they migrate, I don't think they do. Based on my reports, 
mm-hmm. in these counties, I'm talking decades of reports in the same county with the same the same Bigfoot. And in other words, in Adair County, for example, a lot of the witnesses describe it very similar, uh, ape-like with a, a big hooded flat nose, uh, that sagittal crest, the heavy brow, more ape-like. Uh, the chest was gray. Um, you know, the rest of it was more uh, darker in color. All the witnesses say the same thing over over decades. So that to me, that thing's living there, staying in that area. Um, there's the reddish brown ones. There's a white one in Carter County that people have seen for decades. So I, I kind of think they stay in the area because, you know, it's kind of risky to cross these interstates and highways and. There's neighborhoods and there's there's cities and stuff. You know we've we've got running water and stuff in Kentucky too. But <laughs> they why leave if they got everything right? All their food source and their it's remote. Why move out of that area? Exactly. I, I totally agree with you. And I we I think we're finding a lot of similarities here in Oregon and Washington and Northern California. Uh, I think it is risky if you have to travel long distances uh, to sustain yourself for whatever reason um, when you don't need to. Uh, you can, you can, you know, a lot of people get confused with the word migration. Um, and they think, you know, uh, things have to travel long distances. Well, no, they just have to travel where the food's at, and, and that could be from elevation to elevation, higher to lower, depending on the weather and the food sources. And, I mean, you, you, you know, like I said, different counties and stuff, seeing similarities and similar creatures and whatnot, only stands a reason that they they don't necessarily migrate. You know, uh, you know, 50 square miles or uh, you know 100 square miles. I wouldn't call migration. Uh, you know, traveling, sure, but I wouldn't necessarily right. call uh, migration. You know, but well, they have a just, territory. Well, yeah, I mean, right, territory, possibly. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and their territory might yeah. be quite large, given the you know. What we have a question. One of the. Uh, um, People in the chat room is asking uh, what your opinion is on the size of the Bigfoot population. Well, in, in Kentucky, um, I think there's they're in the hundreds uh, easily because if you think about it, when they came to this part of the country back, you know, when we all Pangaea, when the, we had the land bridge to Asia and all the animals came down and they came across North America. Well, once they reach this area, Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, et cetera, and humans came in and we started to develop the areas and stuff, I think now they're kind of landlocked in certain areas. Um, like we said, they don't really migrate to kind of – but to reproduce, you've got to have more than one. So I think a lot of people realize you see one, I always tell them there's probably more um, for them to be in that area. Um, and I – I've experienced multiple interactions with them where I know there's more than one. So I think there's a clan usually in certain areas. So based on the reports I get in the counties, that are, the numbers I have in the counties, if I took every report and you multiplied that by, you know, three or four for like a clan, you're looking up in, in the hundreds easily. And Bruce is asking, um, do you feel like that Bigfoot – are more human-like or ape-like? Um, that's a great question because a lot of reports I get, people are astonished about the human-like features in its face. And 
I would say more reports I get in Kentucky are the human-like features, the the hooded nose, um, the thin lips, the the you know the big round eyes, which are a little bit bigger than humans, but they're still big. Um, but human-like. Um, there are a few of the monkey-like, typical. You know, like I mentioned, Big Mo is more the typical ape-like creature with the sagittal crest and the heavy brow. But um, most of most witnesses are surprised by how human-like the face looks. When it, when it comes to not just the looks of Sasquatch, what about some of the characteristics, some of the audio that you guys perhaps recorded or heard? Uh, what does that uh, put your your thoughts on what Sasquatch may be? Oh, I'm I'm convinced that these things are much closer to us than an ape. They're they're highly intelligent. Um, you know, we have, you know, gifting scenarios in Kentucky. We've got um, just some of their behaviors and their interactions, how they can how they can avoid us. You know, they're the ultimate predator. They evolve differently than we have. Their sense of smell, their eyesight, their hearing is so much more advanced than what ours is. They're their mid tarsal break in their foot to get up and down these rugged this rugged terrain, you know. We evolve differently. We evolve the technology. So what happens with us, with our cell phones, our computers, our TVs, our eyesights are getting worse, our hearing is getting worse, you know. Um, we rely on, we have like a crutch, if you will, you know, over the, over the past few hundred years. So we're not evolving that way. They evolved to avoid us, to survive, and to do that, think us, um, they've got to be one step ahead of us. And I tell people this all the time. When you walk through the woods, what do you do when you're walking through the woods? You're looking down where you're stepping. So it's going to be hard to see a Sasquatch who just ducks behind a tree and just kind of moves, and you walk right by him and never know he was there because you're looking down at your feet. Right. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny, too, because, uh, you know, people talk about, oh, well, there's all these people in the woods. There's hunters and this and that, uh, blah, blah, blah. But really, uh, most people, and not everybody, but most people out there seasonally, in these areas, and we're not living out in these areas. You could have somebody like uh, Mick Dodge, who spends a lot of time out in the woods and whatnot, but he's not built for the woods, uh, unlike something w- as to Sasquatch where it has to be, because that's where it lives, and that's what it does. So right. even for somebody to be out in the woods it's, as a human, we're not built, nor are we adapted to... Um, survive out there uh, like like sasquatches it, it it's not really that mind-boggling to me at all um and i don't get confused with the subject you know it's uh the these things are built for the woods uh, built for the that terrain and meant to survive out there because that's that is 100 percent their home you know they don't have the luxuries uh and they're not seasonal guests they're full-on yearly guests right i agree Someone on, on your chat asked about the habituators. Um, I've got a couple spots where I have peanut butter. Um, here's one example. Um, and I had a crappy trail camera. And every, everybody knows in Bigfooting that they avoid trail cameras because they can see the IR, they can smell the petroleum in the plastic, they can hear the mechanism, you know, trigger. But <laughs> with that being said, I do have a couple of troll cameras, and I hide them pretty good. I try to disguise them. I'm thinking I might catch one 
slow Sasquatch out there that's not as bright as the rest, and I might get lucky to get that picture. <laughs> so anyway, um, I had a jar of uh, peanut butter on a stump, and I loosened the top, took the you know the inside uh, seal off, and then I put the top back on fairly snug, and I set it on the stump. And I come back to check the SD card. Of course, I missed whatever took it. Um, the stump and, and the uh, peanut butter was over to the side of the frame. I didn't frame it up exactly right with my camera. It was a little bit to the side. Um, but anyway, the peanut butter is there. The next frame, the peanut butter is gone, and the lid is sitting in the middle of the stump. And it's not a very big stump, so... And I could never find the jar of peanut butter. It vanished. I'm thinking, what in the world? How could it, how could my trail camera miss that, number one? Number mm-hmm. two, what other animal, like a raccoon, would be able to get the top off and then set it right in the center of the stump? Because I'm figuring a raccoon, if he did knock it off, it's, it's going to be laying on the ground where he took it off, you know, the, the lid. So... That's one little example of some of the spots where I do some habituation. I've got other people that habituate, and they put gifts out and, you know, a stuffed animal, and it's on a fence post. That mm-hmm. day it comes back, it's off the fence post, and it's laying over by um, his um, deer stand. Like something took it and say, here, you forgot something. And I've got other ones where um, a whole pile of corn was gone the next day, and where the pile of corn was was a feather. Um, there's there's just countless stories of habituation. There's a, a black elder, elderly lady in Barron County, and I got this report, um, and I went out and investigated it. She has since passed away four years ago. But where she lives is in Barron County, and Lauren Coleman wrote in his book, Mysterious America, about Monkey Cave Hollow. I've contacted Lauren Coleman to find out where this region was. He told me the same area. I don't know if it's the same exact, well, there was no street back in the 1800s, but in Lauren Coleman's book, he talked about in the 1800s, the um, the pioneer who, who first came to Kentucky, they saw these little hairy men running around. And I think they shot them, or, and, and I guess the theory, but we're thinking that some of them got away when they shot them, but that's in Lauren Coleman's book. But Monkey Cave Hollow is in this area, so I got a hold of this witness who had a Bigfoot encounter, he told me about the old lady who lived down the, the street. This old uh, lady put food in her backyard, as we all kind of do in Kentucky. We throw our scraps out. And a Bigfoot would come up, eat the food. And the days that she wouldn't put the food, it would come up and it would bang on the house. <laughs> and <laughs> and the, the neatest part is everybody in this dead-end street knew about it. Other people had sightings, had Class A reports from a, a grandfather and son who saw it, a Class A report from a hunter who saw it years later, hunting down by a creek, all in the same area by this creek and this stream, I mean this road. The lady unfortunately passed away like four years ago. Her house burnt down too, uh, to make matters worse. Um, but everybody knew about this, this older black lady who was feeding them in her backyard. It was really cool. Yeah, very cool. Uh, so, in, Charlie, Charlie, in all the years of your of your uh, investigating reports, and and you you go out 
you, you were saying you go out every weekend pretty much and and uh and and bigfoot in the verb sense uh what is the most compelling personal experience that you've had oh gosh <laughs> I've had a lot. I would say, here's the thing. If you figure Class A would be like the top of the line, right? A daylight sighting, you know, that would be Class A. I've had just countless Class B++ pluses where where um, I've gotten within just, you know, 30, 40 yards of them, like coming close, where I've, I would do hand claps and whistles. In fact, this just happened um, – this is past November, the really hot area in Mammoth Cave National Park. I took my wife there. And this is a recent one. I've got more, but I'll, I'll tell you this one first. My wife, she's a little reluctant. You know, oh, gosh, you're going to take your bigfooting again. I go, oh, come on. It's a nice day. Let's go for a hike. <laughs> you know? uh, so we, we go on a three-mile hike. This is the back of the park, miles deep in the park, down a three-mile hike, back to a spot where when you get to this spot, the river is like an oxbow, goes around the end of the trail, this campsite. And the only way to get there is this trail. And it's up on a ridge. There are no other trails to get there. The, the Green River goes around that spot. And there was a Class A by a fisherman there uh, down on the river a few years prior. Anyway, we're there at the campsite up on this ridge, and I said, let's go down down there to that cedar thicket. I go, they, I believe they like to stay in cedar thickets because it's year-round cover. And a lot of reports I get uh, from hunters and so forth explain, you know, that was in a cedar thicket. So she goes, okay. So we walk down the ridge. Now we separate. So she goes away from me, um, not too far, maybe 100 feet. I'm over here. I'm doing hand claps and whistles because where we are, just some background. Big Mo is one of the Bigfoots that the locals named, and he likes to whistle. That's one of the reports that comes in. So that's why I was clapping and whistling. Well, I started hearing return knocks, I believe, far far from the distance. So I come over to my wife. I said, did you hear those? And she's a skeptic now. <laughs> she's not a believer. She wants to see one to believe it. She goes, yeah, but those are too far off. I don't know what that was. I okay. If I do some more hand claps, another straight line whistle, and I would, I'm not kidding, within 10 minutes, something comes probably within 50 yards of us and starts hand clapping back to me. Every time I clap, it would clap back. And my wife's like, that's a person. I go, baby, that's, there's no way that's a person. You know what we just hiked three miles to get in here on that ridge? There are no other trails. We're on an island on this little peninsula. There's no other way you can get there. That's a that's a Sasquatch coming in. And I started getting, you know, goosebumps and the hair standing up at the back of my neck, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, there's one getting close. Now, the whole time this is happening, it's now almost dark. I mean, it's almost completely dark. I wasn't planning on staying out there that late, did not bring any uh, flashlights or um, red headlamps, you know. And it's getting darker now. I'm, I'm I'm pumped up. But after a while, I mean, she's like, okay, let's go. <laughs> I'm like, okay, we can go. But I, 
you know, I'm like thinking, oh my gosh, there's one right there, but I can't see him. I'm looking. I did not have thermal with me at the time. This was just a, a leisurely hike, <laughs> you know, on a Sunday yeah. afternoon. And I'm like, dang, I mean, I brought one in. I got one close. And I go, man, I wish I had thermal with me. Because even, you know, during the daytime, you could pick up his signature. I go, crap, that was a – so that was a cool experience. Um, just so you know where this area is, the year prior, I took a group of Girl Scouts who contacted me from Ohio. They said, listen, our our troop wants to go squatching, fixing. Can you take us? And I'm always eager to go out. No matter who wants to go, I'll take them out. Oh, yeah, sure, let's go. So they came down from Ohio. They went to Mammoth Cave to see the cave, and they went horseback riding. And then we planned one night to go squatching. I said, well, let's meet at a local restaurant, and we'll have dinner, and I'll do a presentation for you. So I did a PowerPoint, and I played some audio and showed them some pictures, and they got all excited. And these girls, you know, the dozen girls, uh, ranging in age from like 12 to 15, and they're all giddy. And um, I actually thought girls were more mature than boys. Yeah, I'm a school teacher, so I'm thinking, but these girls, <laughs> I guess they're just excited about being on vacation and stuff, but they're real giddy and excited, and they're, oh, let's go, let's go. So we get in the cars. We drive to a spot where I know there's been some sightings. Uh, Park Hunter, about in the 80s, they're building a, a boardwalk in this one area in Mammoth Cave. The park hunter went out to check the boardwalk, the progress. It was late at night, and he was on an ATV. He was out there by the boardwalk, and with his lights of his ATV, he thinks he sees a bear, but the thing stood up and ran off on two legs. So I know this spot is a, is a hot area, so I took the girls to this boardwalk. Well, the boardwalk is only three-fourths of a mile around a little pond but it kind of meanders to the trees and it's really squatchy, you know, at night. It's really spooky, but you're on a safe boardwalk. So I think it's a great place to take these girls. And I explained to them, hey, listen, I got a red headlamp on. I'm going to give you girls a couple of red headlamps. We're going to go out there. I'm going to let you do some tree knocks. I'm going to let you do some Bigfoot howls. And I said, from my experience, Bigfoots are curious creatures. They like females. They like children. They like laughter. So we're going to act normal. We're going to laugh. We're going to have fun. We're not going to shine flashlights around. They don't like that. But when we go out there, hopefully we'll bring one in. Not even thinking in my wildest imagination this is going to work. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, right. We go out there. We walk around this boardwalk. We're, I'm letting each girl do a call, and we're laughing at the calls, and they're doing tree knocks. And we get around the boardwalk, about 45 45 minutes in, and I told one of the girls, do 10 fast knocks. I said, it's my hunch, my belief, that the 10 fast ones are like a distress call. So the one girl does it, and she goes, whack, 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 10 times. Well, when when she stops, we all hear a knock and a whistle come from the opposite side of the pond where we just were. And they're like, oh, my God. I go, I know, I heard that too. You guys hear that? Yeah, we heard that. I go, let's go over there. They go, no, let's don't go over there. <laughs> I go, no. I go, it's fine, it's fine. You know, so I walk around them, get in the front of the line. We walk around this meandering boardwalk all the way around to where we think we heard the knock and whistle. As we get over there, 
there's a there's a bench. So a couple of people sit down on the bench and we're sitting there a little bit. And in the meantime, while we're there, one of the mothers thinks she sees eye shine towards the, the parking lot if you keep walking on the boardwalk. So I go, let me check it out. So I walk that way. There's nothing. But as I come back to the group, right when I come back to the group of girls, behind them, uh, I would say, again, within 50 yards, I mean, I would say 20, 30 yards, around the boardwalk, it kind of meanders. You hear the loudest thud on that boardwalk that you can ever imagine, and everybody screamed. And I, I got nervous right away because you, you, immediately, you immediately know that that's a huge creature. That, that's big. Whatever just did that is enormous. I walk around them. I did take my flashlight out because now I'm worried about their safety. Like thinking, hey, what the heck is this? I can't see far enough around the meandering boardwalk because all the trees to see where this thing was. And they're all like, let's go, let's go, let's go. The funniest thing, the mothers, because there's all three or four scout or troop mothers, so to speak, one of the moms never said a word. She just started walking towards the parking lot, like walking away from her own daughter. You know, because when that fight or flight kicks in, you don't even think. You just start you start to leave, you know. So the one mom who's a skeptic immediately started walking away from everybody <laughs> towards the parking lot. Um, so we all get back to the parking lot. I said, girls, listen. They're all excited. I'll tell you what. I think that was a bluff charge. I think that we brought one in, okay, with all our, our shenanigans, uh, you know, and it, it was curious. Like I said, like I said, my work, it actually worked. And when we did the 10 fast knocks, that knock and whistle was to let us let another squatch know. We kind of fooled it. They thought the 10 knocks were from another squatch. It was letting the other squatch know that, hey, I'm right here if you need me. And when we walked by it, I think we actually walked by it. There's some big trees I took pictures of, which freaks me out because I, I know I walked right by the thing. When we get there, you know, into that spot, but I told the girl, I said, you know what? I think they got pissed off because it finally realized it's us goofing around and it wanted us out of there, succeeded. Gotcha. Yeah. <clears throat> I've heard you, uh, Charlie, I've heard you share that story before and it's, it's, <laughs> it's a good story. It's, it's, uh, it's unique too, especially with uh, having, uh, those girls out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny about that story. Um, I've taken large, large groups of people on expeditions many times. And I get this from a lot of people that are thinking, oh, that's not going to work. It's better to go out there by yourself or with one person. I agree to some extent. But I've had great luck with large groups of people. Mm-hmm. Um, the one at Cave Run Lake, I, with, it was with, with um, Chad with Ghost Hunt Weekends. He had me come up there do a uh, Bigfoot expedition. I took a group of people out. And we got immediate tree knocks. As soon as we entered the trails, you know, as researchers, you know, those – those little warning knocks, like, okay, we got humans present, lay low. And then when you leave, you know, and they knock when you leave, okay, coast is clear. Perfect scenario like that. While we were out there with a bunch of people, all had red headlamps on along this trail, we heard an amazing – no, sorry. The other group made a howl. Um, it was Jody Cook with Ohio. He made a howl. We heard his howl. And that was after we heard the two tree knocks. Then something was moving fast through the woods, and we heard these amazing whoops 
like a gorilla like like a whoop like a whoop whoop. And it was like sounds just like a gorilla. And it was moving, and as it moved, we all stood in like amazement, like wow, did you guys hear that? And we're like, yeah, that's so cool. So we listened to that. We finally stopped. We tried to do a couple knocks and and whoop back, but nothing. So we started to move, and as we started to move, a huge rock was thrown right up by the front of the line, right inside of the, the, the embankment, like smack, right in the mud, and we all stopped again. We're like, shit, what was that? <laughs> I go, something just threw a huge rock, and I think it might have been the mother of that young juvenile that just went by whooping, you know? So my point is, I think... You know, it just depends. You got to be the right spot at the right time. You got to have the right tactic, whether it's trying to create curiosity or try to build a relationship with them. You know, you just got to know the area and know what works best for your area. Yeah, exactly. You know, Gunner, uh, Gunner has a, a, a story along these lines where Gunner, you want to tell it with you and Jess about the rock coming down the hill, but she had made a particular <laughs> sound. Yeah, well, that. It was at the end of last summer, I think, Jess and I were up, and her daughter, Grace, was with us, and we were in our research area and uh, sitting around the campfire, and we'd heard, you know, branch snaps and stuff throughout the night, so we were aware that, you know, maybe something was moving around. And she was telling um, telling a story she had about working with, with – uh, primates at one time and she did like an agitated chimp sound like Hoo-hoo! and like immediately after that all of a sudden there's this loud crash like with right behind her she had her back to the, the woods and I was actually sitting with my back towards the camp so and she flew across the fire pit <laughs> but uh, the next day we found a, about I don't know four or five inch diameter rock behind where she her chair with within three feet of where she was sitting. I didn't see the rock actually flop, but that's our best guess of what made that that uh, crash yeah. um, was that that rock came from somewhat from down up up the hillside. So it was pretty cool. That um, it reminds me of um, this this past um, fall, we had a, a BFRO expedition here in Kentucky. I always clarify that because we're the KBRO, my Kentucky Bigfoot Research Organization. Well, everybody knows the BFRO, but I support them 100% and have a lot of friends in the BFRO. And I helped organize their fall expedition here in Kentucky. And this spot that we went to was a known um, Bigfoot hotspot that we finally obtained permission to go there. It's private land, so we're all excited but the neatest part was on, on a Friday night, we were at the top of this meadow, which sloped down to a tree line, and inside the tree line was a, was a creek where there was a Class A sighting by a mother and daughter down in the creek or run out of there by a Bigfoot you know, a few years ago. So this spot we're at, we're late at, it's late at night, top of this meadow, and I'm tired. I've been, I've been hiking all day the last couple of days, every night, taking groups out. I just wanted to sit in my chair with my thermal thermal and my audio going. So I'm with a couple of the other older geezers, <laughs> you know, sitting in chairs. Go out. Down by the tree line, there's a, a trail that parallels the tree line in the creek. 
and they were down that trail, and they radio us, and they say, Charlie, get, get your thermal down here now. I go, why? I go, we just all heard multiple growls. So I, I look at my buddy, I'm going, oh, great, there's a raccoon down there, you know. <laughs> i got to get up out of my chair. So um, so I get up out of my chair, and I walk down there, and I meet them, and they're, they're real excited. I mean, they're all, you could tell by their expressions that they're really unnerved by whatever this is. And it happened multiple times. While I'm scanning, I can't, I can't see anything uh, with my thermal. And we all decide to leave. So we come back up the trail. We walk back up this meadow to the top of the hill. And we're talking about what was happening. And somebody in, the, in this huge group of people said, I just heard it again over there in that direction, down by the tree line. Two of them heard it. I go, really? So one of the guys, a BFRO investigator with me, uh, Don Atkins, super nice guy, great researcher, he said, well, let's go down there. So we we walked down there with two other individuals. We walked all the way down to the tree line, right where the trail meets the meadow, and we're standing at the corner, and he lets out this aggressive growl, like you said, like a monkey-like, but aggressive. Here's the, here's the coolest thing. Okay. Immediately after his aggressive growl, a huge tree is pushed over inside the tree line, uh, you, and you hear the stress fractures. You hear it go, boosh, and we're like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> we're like, we just kicked something off directly in front of us, and we sat there for a while. And we're like, "Oh my gosh!" We, you, you, you know, you, again, you get the goosebumps, and the hair stands up in your neck. You're like, oh, my gosh, that is shoot. Whatever just did that, and there's no wind, you know, just so you know, there's there's nothing that could have pushed that tree over that we know of. Um, so we walked back up to the, the main group, and they all heard it. They're like, Charlie, did you push a tree over? <laughs> you know, the, 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 the property owner thought I pushed a tree over. I go, no, man, I didn't, I didn't push one of your trees over. Don did a growl, and something inside the tree, tree line pushed a tree over. They're like, no way. I go, yeah. So we're talking about it, all excited. Another group of people go down to the tree line, but go down further, more to the right, kind of where, the, where say, it was walking down the creek. And they did a whistle and got three rock clacks back after their whistle. And they're like, wow, and they recorded. We got, it. we got all this recorded. Everything's recorded, so it's really cool to hear in the audio. But we come back up and we tell them we got, the, we got three rock clacks and Back to that story that, you know, I think was Gunner was saying, that aggressive behavior, though. And Don even said, I don't like to do that. I don't want to, you know, upset one, so to speak. Um, but it yeah. it worked. Sounds like it worked. <laughs> and you got it all recorded. Yeah. That's awesome. Fantastic. And we, the next day we did go in there and we found two tree breaks. They're on, they're on my website somewhere. One is down by the base of the tree. It's fresh green. It's about a four-inch in diameter tree, freshly broken over, a possible track next to it. Um, not castable, but it was some rough terrain, so it's kind of hard to see, but you can see an indentation by that tree. And another tree found about chest high, with a pine tree, again, about four inches in diameter, you know, a fresh snap. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Charlie... I'm not sure if you're familiar with Michael Townsend. He's a, um, 
a professor slash researcher out of Washington who's come out with some claims lately, and one of those claims is that they're finding these bone stacks in area, different areas of, of Mount St. Helens. Have you guys out in in Kentucky or adjoining areas found any uh, bone stacks or anything like that that you found interesting? Is that something you guys come across? Um, we found a couple. One was like a um, we call a stash, like a deer stash of um, mm-hmm. dead deer carcasses. All it's kind of odd to be all stacked up together, um, and strangely mutilated. Like their like their liver's gone, heart gone. Not like a hunter would hunter would you know dress a deer. They're just kind of odd behaviors. What would stock a deer here? Um, another one occurred with a witness. This is a fascinating story. When she and her sister were little girls, this is up towards um, Henry County, Trimble County area. They're both little girls. Their little dog, um, Pee Wee, took off up the mountain after something. So one of the girls ran after Pee Wee. Well, the sister's like, crap, i got to go after my, my sister now. So she ran after her sister, telling her to stop. Well, they run deep in this forest up this mountain after Pee-wee. Pee-wee was chasing something. As they're chasing Pee-wee, she said, we come to this um, huge bone pile. And she said they're large bones. She said there must have been cows or other large animals. But some of the bones still like had like reddish flesh on them. Uh, like they're red and, you know, they've been there a while, but still you could tell they weren't there too long. And it was in the middle of this forest up the side of this mountain, and she got real scared. So she ran back home to tell her dad. So she ran back home to get the dad, to get the gun and all that. The sister is still going after Pee-wee up the mountain. Here's where the story gets kind of cool. Supposedly... um, the little girl chasing Pee-wee finally loses Pee-wee and decides to come back. As she's coming back, a supposed Sasquatch steps out from behind a tree in front of her, and she heard this, she, I forgot one part of the story, she heard this laughter-like sound, and she looks up, and this supposed Sasquatch steps out from behind the tree and steps back. And the little girl, you know, in shock, she decides to go another way home, so she goes you know, to, her, to her right, tries to get around this thing, the thing steps out again in front of her, making this laughter-type sound. And it wasn't until the father, you can hear the father running up, with, you know, calling the daughter, and you can hear them coming up through the woods, that the Bigfoot disappeared, but or whatever it was, it disappeared. But that story um, was a kind of a neat story for two reasons. One, the big bone, bone pile. Um, and then two, the the playful, possible juvenile, you know, playing with the little girl. Yeah, yeah, phenomenal. Um, what about now, Charlie? What about uh, if if I were a Sasquatch, where would I feel safe out in Kentucky? As far as I mean, have you guys come across any nesting areas or any areas where you think they they've hunkered down for a day or two or longer, or you found anything uh, to suggest that they do nest at all? Or, um, you know, especially with, it, you know, I imagine they have youngins. So anything of that nature? Oh, yeah, we found dozens of possible, you know, nesting sites. It's 
it's hard to tell for sure unless you see one, you know, sleeping in there. But um, a lot of them look like definitely, you know, you could say a human made it because it's all interwoven and there's fresh pine needles inside. So you could think, well, maybe a hunter was in there. Um, there's, I'm thinking of two quick stories. One, it's on my website, it's a video. The park ranger found one in Bernheim Forest. And it was well off the trail, back in the forest, um, up the side of this steep cliff, this nice structure where something made it. I mean, you could obvious, obviously tell um, something intelligent made this shelter. Outside the shelter was a deer um, skeleton laying outside the shelter. And some background information on what this is, it's an arboreum. It's 14,000 acres protected. There's no hunting. It's gated. Um, it's strictly for hikers and bird watchers and so forth. There's no hunters allowed in there. So, you know, this was a really cool structure. Again, that video is on my website. If you go and look at it. Um, there's another structure we found near there. And just some background information in this area. Both park rangers had class A's in the park. Across from the park, the sheriff had a class, multiple class A's in this area. So this is one of my, my um, honey holes, as I like to call them. Uh-huh. And when I've been there, my wife and I went back to this area where I've got am- amazing tree knock interactions before. Like, I know they're there, okay? So my wife and I went back there, and, again, it was getting dark, and it got dark, actually. And we found this really cool structure deep back in the woods, we're off trail. Just so you know, we're not on any trail. We're, we're, we're deep in there off trail. And my wife goes, let me go in there and check it out. And because she's a skeptic, she's got huge balls. <laughs> she doesn't, <laughs> you know, she's not afraid. I know they're real, so I, I'm like looking around, looking over my shoulder, you know. <laughs> she goes, let me go in there. So she goes in there. I said, well, look for hair and so forth. So she's looking around. Didn't find any hair. Now it's dark out. I go, come on, we need to go home. <laughs> um, so we, we get off, we get finally back to our power line cut, and the power line cut is what we took to get up there. So halfway back, she goes, I lost my cell phone. I go, you got to shit me. I don't want to go back up there. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's dark, you know. And I, I would never shoot a Bigfoot, but sometimes, you know, having a firearm, you feel a little confident, like, you know, in case you're ever attacked by one. Um, I'm like, crap, we're going to go back up there. It's dark now. We've got these crappy flashlights. And so we go back up there. And by the way, we went on an expedition. Again, we were out there checking the trail camera while it was light out. We weren't expecting to be out there after dark, so I didn't have all my squatching gear with me. So she goes, okay, let's go back up there. So we go back up to this supposed Bigfoot shelter. And it's deep in the woods, and you can barely see it. And I said, let me try calling your phone, and you'll never believe who answered. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 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 I'm big, uh, Sasquatch, answer. (laughs) She had her her phone turned down, so you couldn't hear it ring, but thank God it lit up. And sure enough, her phone was in the middle of that, that shelter. So I told her, I elbowed her, I said, okay, go get it. I'm not going to go in there. <laughs> so she goes and gets it, and 
and usually I get out, you know, I'm not going to tell people, you know, I'm not unnerved or I'm the biggest, baddest researcher out there. I'm not afraid of anything. No, I know they exist. I know how big they are. And I know they can be intimidating. I know they really don't hurt people. Typically, you know, I've never taken a report in Kentucky of them hurting somebody. But they will bluff charge. They will, you know, they will growl for rocks and they'll let you know to get out of there. Um, so I am a little bit unnerved when I know to, I, when I know I go to these hot spots where my wife, you know, like I said, doesn't she doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> right. She doesn't have that, she has that the protection that, of that, unbelief. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she's the um, she's the Renee of my group. <laughs> that's good to have. That's good. That, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very important, you know. Uh, not everybody is a believer or have seen, you know, has seen one. Uh, it's important uh, to have, uh, you know, we're mo- most of us that are, or most most researchers I respect are have a healthy amount of skepticism about them. Uh, but it's always nice to have somebody that is almost uh, a pure skeptic of sorts along with you yeah. with uh, yeah. just to uh, kind of really in and, and look at things a little bit differently that you may uh, or may not look at. So um, kudos to uh, your wife and bringing her out there for sure. Oh, yeah. I, I got a call once. Um, it's a Friday night. It's late. You know, it's about 1130 at night. We're watching TV in our, in our jammies. And I get a call from somebody who just had a sighting in Carter County, which is, again, all the way across the state. So we're talking four-hour drives. I go, Bates, come on, let's go. It's a fresh sighting. He just saw it. We can stay in a hotel, and the next day we'll go look for tracks. And and, she, and I finally convinced her that we'll stay in a nice hotel. Okay. <laughs> <So> <laughs> she goes, okay. So we pack up a couple things. We leave that night. We go there. I'm adding this to the story. Of course, our car breaks down, which didn't help the matter. Help matters worse. How to get a tow truck? It's a crappy night. Get to the hotel. Next day, we go talk to the witness. Took the whole report. Um, we go looking for tracks. And now she went up this one ridge. I went up another ridge. And we're up on two separate ridges. We did not have our radios with us, so we couldn't really communicate. We're looking around for stuff. We come down, include our investigation with the witness and everything. We get in the car to drive home, and she goes, you know what I found up there? I go, what? She goes, and this, uh, and I can't even explain this unless you go into some dense brush. When you go into dense brush, it's like a, a, a spider web of, of vines and 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 trees and bushes in front of you where you got to machete your way through and pull and, and crawl and crawl. That's what we had to do. I mean, we had to go through shit like that to get up there. So she said, I was pulling through vines and I was digging and I was pulling and crawling in some spots. I get to this one spot and all these trees were interwoven perfectly. And she said it was a cleared out area in the middle of it. And it was amazing how these trees were woven together. I go, I go, baby, why didn't you tell me? You know, why didn't you yell to me at the other ridge or down there tell me about it? I go, what did you do? And she goes, well, I took them all apart to see how they were put together. <laughs> I go, listen. <laughs> and this is when she first started out, by the way. This was years ago. So this wasn't recent. She knows better now. 
I go, next time that happens, don't touch it, okay? <laughs> Let me know. Let's go take pictures and look for hair, et cetera. But <laughs> it's kind of comical. <clears throat> Curiosity killed the cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the kind of skeptic she is, you know. She's just a non-believer. Now, one of the questions in our chat room was on the, the subject of three-toed footprints. Uh, you, I think they mentioned that you possibly have one on your website. Is that something common out there in Kentucky, or just a, uh, you know, what, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the one that um, Bruce and Kelly there uh, is probably talking about, the three-toed yeah. tra- track in uh, Anderson County, um, that was in a creek bed, and it was kind of off the side of a, a rock in the creek bed, so it wasn't the full track. Um, gotcha. So that one, there were definitely pads, I mean, like the toe pads. Um, you could see a little dermal ridges on the side of the front part of the partial of the track, but the rest of the track did not come out because of the, the rock in the, in the creek. And to, to answer your question, there are three-toed prints. Um, we do come across them. I don't know if that's a deformity. I don't know if it's the substrate where it steps. You know, it doesn't get all the toes. Um, for that one, you know, I'm still scratching my head over some of those three-toed tracks. But most of yeah. them are not three-toed tracks. Gotcha. What about uh, tools? Do you think uh, Bigfoot uh, uses any sort of uh, tools? Uh, have you found any evidence for that? Um yeah, I've got uh, two stories, real quick ones. One, yeah. uh, the video of the guy talking about it to my website on the videos, KentuckyBigfoot.com, on the videos, he's an older guy way down at the bottom. He's in Adair County. As a young boy, him, his butt, him, him and his buddy heard some banging sounds coming from behind a house. So they walk behind this house, and they see this big hairy creature, two pieces of firewood, and banging one of them to the ground and then taking his hand and shipping back the dirt like it's looking for grubs or something. Well, of course, both both boys are, like, dumbfounded, and they run home to their parents, and parents don't believe them, and et cetera. Um, that was one case of Bigfoot uh, possibly using tools. Um, there's a picture I found of a – that could have been a Native American type of tool. You could hold it in your hand – it's long. It looks like it's been worked on both sides. And I'm not an expert on Native American tools, but it looks like it's something you would skin or cut and carve or, or what have you. Where we found that was in Tennessee on a BFRO expedition, right where we found these huge 16-foot, 16 um, 16-inch 16 footprints which we casted, where we got some thermal footage of um, – possibly two juvenile belly crawling. I mean, it's a really hot area. And I found that rock right there on a trail from where these footprints led up, like something dropped it on that trail. And it's a pretty worn-out trail. And, yeah, you know, a person could have dropped it or a Native American could have dropped it. But, you know, I don't have proof that a Bigfoot used that, but I'm thinking if they're highly intelligent, they might want to get their fingers dirty. You know, they're going to want to use a stick or um, a rock to dig with or what mm-hmm. have you. Um, but it, it made me think of something in Adair County 
the story of that the older gentleman uh, recounting his um, childhood encounter. Um, and at Bear County, there's a, a really fascinating report I took a few few years back, and I'll share that with you. Um, in Adair County, they nicknamed it the Varmint. That was a nickname at Adair County. There's been just dozens of sightings. The, um, the town dentist, who happens to be also the town sheriff and the town, <laughs> the mayor, <laughs> you know, those little towns, one person does it all, but he had a Bigfoot encounter. So-and-so had a Bigfoot encounter. There's lots of Bigfoot encounters in Adair County. One report I took just recently from, well, not recently, a couple of years ago, this guy drove to a spot by the Green River Lake and he put out a trail camera and he put it down by the lake. He parked his car by this turnoff. Well, he went to get it the next morning because he didn't want anybody to take it because it's kind of a, a known hunting area and fishing area. So he went back early the next morning to get his trail camera and when he did, he's walking back up the path towards his car and he hears something big parallel him in the, uh, down in the hollow. And every time he stopped, it would stop. You know, you know, you know the scenario. As he gets back to his vehicle, which is a Honda Element, which is a little vehicle with a hatchback, he gets around the hatchback, he puts his trail camera in there, and he smells this god-awful rotten meat-type smell, you know, like combined with B.O. He said, oh, my gosh. And he looks around. And it's a really foggy morning. The sun is just coming up. It's really foggy. And he's looking around. He goes, what is it smell? And he can't figure it out. So he gets back in his vehicle. And then he, then he starts hearing, or sorry, he did not hear anything yet. He smelt it again. Like, and it's so pungent that it made his eyes water. He's like, oh, my gosh. He looks over again, and he looks towards the bridge. Now, down the bridge, in, down in the, the lake there, he hears two fishermen in a boat talking. He can hear them in the distance, like going under the bridge. But he's looking in that direction. It's real foggy. Next to the guardrail, he thinks he sees a pine tree, but then the pine tree, the pine tree, as he's looking at it, stands up. And then he's looking at it and he goes, what the hell is that? And it almost looked like it had no head on it at first. Massive thing. And it starts walking towards him, growling a deep guttural growl and he's it's kicking in that this thing's alive and it's been and he gets this feeling like okay i need to leave so he walks around his vehicle and then he said it's really odd when i got to the side of my vehicle something in my head said crawl up in the fetal position on the ground <laughs> so he, he gets in the car and now the thing keeps coming closer, so now you can get a better view of it. It's almost to the guardrail, almost to where he's parked, and he can see it. I mean, he can see it when it's growling. He can actually see the lips vibrate. And at first, what he thought was no head, what it was, the head was kind of sunken down, was hunched over, and that's why he couldn't really see the head at first. And his uh, pistol was on the passenger seat, so he takes his pistol, and he didn't want to shoot it, so he didn't shoot out his passenger door window. He shot out his window into the embankment to scare it. Which, by the way, he said to me, never do inside a car. <laughs> he couldn't could hear for a week. So he shot, and the thing stopped. So he goes, thank God it stopped. So he reached over 
car and gear and, and those Honda elements, the, the stick shift is stick shift is up top kind of up high. So he had his gun in his hand. This is the funny part of the story. When he went to put it in gear, he inadvertently shot around into his car. Oh wow. Into the into the console. <laughs> so he throws it in reverse, he backs up, he speeds out of there, he goes the wrong way, he gets miles down the road and realizes, crap, I gotta go back that way to get home. Turns around, goes back, of course the creature's gone. He gets home to the farm. His wife, who's a, um, she works at a prison. She's like a, a woman's prison. She's no nonsense. She walks up to him, and he's just sitting in the car, like not moving. She's like, what's wrong? And, of course, he tells her the story, and she shakes her head, and she walks away. When he shut the car off, because he shot it, it would not start again because he shut the console. And he even showed me, he showed me the console where he had it replaced where you shot the hole in the console. He said, oh, I left one thing out. Before he got back to the farm, he was driving home, he stopped at a gas station, went in the bathroom and threw up. Wow. <clears throat> Shook him up that much, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, when you see something that big, yeah. and, and unexpectedly, you know, come towards you, which here's my thinking on the whole deal, those fishermen were down in that under that bridge. You can hear him talking. He said he thinks when he looked in its direction, even though he couldn't see it because of the fog, he thinks the Bigfoot thinks he saw it. So that's why the Bigfoot stood up and became aggressive and started growling coming towards him. And that's why, you know, because Bigfoots typically would just stay hidden. wouldn't even bother showing themselves. And I said, I think you're right. I think it felt trapped. Because if it went down the hollow, it would go down towards the lake where the fishermen were. You were there. He thinks you saw it. And then because you're, like, in shock when he had the gun in his hand, and he went to, you know, went to squeeze, he had the gun as, as he's squeezing the, his, uh, what do you call it, to put it in reverse, that's when he shot him another round in his car. Wow. Kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's, uh, that's nuts. <laughs> Yeah. You know, but see, people, speaking of... People don't know what you're going to do when you encounter one. If you encounter one, you, just, you really don't know how you're going to how you're going to react seeing a 10-foot-tall, massive creature like that. Yeah, and, you know, that speaks volumes to, you know, and I'm not saying Sasquatch doesn't uh, use impersound and whatnot, but the, the fear factor, when your adrenaline gets pumping and the fear gets going, uh, your body and your mind do some weird things. Uh, I know I've been caught in certain circumstances where... Uh, you know, my adrenaline's been going and my fear's been up high, uh, and um, I won't attribute to Impersound. Not that that's not a possibility, but real quick, you mind talking about Impersound real quick? We're down to about four minutes on our show here, so uh, we'll kind of let off with that. Yeah, um, you know, if you're in the Bigfoot world, you've heard of Impersound. A, large, a lot of large animals, mammals, emit Impersound, uh, lions, tigers, um, et cetera, emit infrasound. Uh, a lot of researchers believe they emit infrasound too, which is, you know, a sound wave under 20, 20 hertz. It's below what we can hear. But the vibrations are so strong, it will actually freeze you. It'll stun you, if you will. And a lot of researchers believe soft watches emit infrasound to 
stun their prey. You know, they always say, how do you catch a deer? How did you know, how do they catch a deer like that? Well, maybe they in the infrasound. Um, I've talked to many people who believe they've been zapped with infrasound, and they get very upset, distraught. Um, uh, it just really shakes you up inside. It's uh, I've never experienced it myself, mm-hmm. um, and it, I will tell you, it's hard to hard to dis- decipher because the few people I've talked to that were zapped. And I know the whole scenario. There's a Sasquatch nearby. And I wonder, you know, was it fight or flight? Are they really just freaking themselves out and they get so upset, mm-hmm. you know, or is it really, are they really getting zapped? So, you know, you really have to talk to the witness. You have to know the person. You have to know the setting uh, determined to, to determine if they were uh, actually zapped. Yeah, there's there's so much going on there and, and so much we don't know yet. Now, Charlie, we're, we're closing up on the show. Do you want to talk about your uh, upcoming expedition real quick? Oh, thank you so much. Um, I want to thank you guys for having me, number one. I really appreciate it. Um, second, uh, KentuckyBigfoot.com. Uh, anybody who wants to find out about us or if you know somebody that has a report, please tell them to go to KentuckyBigfoot.com to submit the report. And I'm excited because in October – I'm planning a public expedition in the Fraser land. This is in central Kentucky. It's private property. It's sacred. It's it's in Anderson County where we have the most sightings in Kentucky. I've got permission to go squatching. I encourage everybody to watch my website or Facebook pages. As soon as I get the details on this expedition, I'll post them there. Um, it's a really hot area, so again, thank you guys for having me. I I enjoy your work and I enjoy your program. Well, Charlie, uh, you know, thank you so much for joining us. Really intrigued by what you got going on, and love your website. And for those that don't don't know Charlie Raymond, please check out his website. We got it posted on in our chat room and on our uh, Facebook group. And uh, we will have Charlie, I hope, on the show again sometime down the road. Uh, Gunner, are you present? Okay, well, um, I'm going to go ahead in the show. But uh, once again, Charlie, thank you so much for, for joining us and sharing um, your work and what's being done uh, out there in Kentucky and for sharing some of your reports outside the outside the. Uh, you know, outside your area. Really appreciate it, man. All right. Well, you're welcome, and thank you, guys. Thank you. Have a great night, everyone, and thank you for joining us here on Monster X Radio. Uh, Please uh, join us next week. We will have a great guest again, and we hope you tune in. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.